Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. I want to say welcome and thanks for being here. I want to start today by inviting us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark is way to the right in your Bible. It's one of four of these ancient biographies about Jesus. Matthew uh, is the first, then Mark, then Luke. And uh, we are, uh, we're going to be in this book. Mark is uh, it's one of my favorite books in Scripture. Mark, the, uh, for a number of reasons, it's so action-oriented. It's just kind of one thing happens after another. It, uh, it's this blue-collar, earthy Greek uh, behind it, kind of from, it's probably from the, 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 the words of Peter, this fisherman. And uh, I just, I love this book. It starts off, Matthew and Luke, you know, they start off like, let me tell you about the birth of Jesus and the Magi and the manger. And Mark's just says, no, let's go straight to the adult life of Jesus. I want to get down to business. And so at the beginning of the book of Mark, we get this prophetic figure, John, in the desert. He's out preaching in the desert. Uh, there's this, this sense that God's doing a new thing. People, these first century Jews from Jerusalem are coming to hear his preaching. And he's, he's baptizing them in the Jordan River, immersing them. So he gets, the, he gets the name. They call him John the Baptizer, John the Immerser, John the Baptist. And he's out there. And uh, in, in Mark 1-7, we get a hint at what he is proclaiming to these crowds of people coming to him. And in Mark 1-7, it says this. And this was John's message. After me comes the one stronger than I. These people are that God's doing a new thing. They're coming. John's preaching this prophet figure. What's and then John's saying, after me, one is coming who is stronger. We're starting this uh, this new series of teachings over the next couple of months. We're going to be looking at the story of Jesus. ...as told in the book of Mark. And we're calling the series... ...Stronger. Uh, John the Baptist says... ...one who is stronger coming. And maybe just uh, a question to orient our hearts... ...as we begin this season... ...and this series of teachings... ...would just be... ...where might you need one... ...who is stronger... ...to arrive... ...in your life? Where might you need one who is stronger... Than temptation, stronger than isolation, stronger than the chaos that can surround us, stronger than things that can own us and enslave us, stronger than, than even spiritual questions and spiritual blindness, stronger than things that seduce like wealth and power and riches, stronger than, than betrayal and the desire for revenge. Stronger than even death itself. Mark, this, this, this biography of Jesus and John, this, this, this figure who, who was a forerunner of Jesus, they were convinced that Jesus was the stronger one. For the, uh, for the biblical theologians amongst us, we could say that, that Mark is presenting Jesus. Mark is saying that Jesus is instituting, inaugurating Yahweh's new exodus 
In the same way that Yahweh, the God of Israel, led his people in, out of slavery and in the exodus of Egypt through mighty deeds and mighty words, so too the Jewish people have been longing for a new exodus that's being inaugurated through his Messiah, Jesus, through the mighty deeds and mighty words of Jesus. Jesus is the stronger one. Before we get into the text for today... I just want to take a moment to kind of uh, talk about the season that we're in. Christian mentioned it. Uh, we're, we're entering in this season called Lent. And uh, if you haven't walked through a Lenten season uh, with us before, as Christian said, it's basically in a couple months we get to Resurrection Sunday, which is also known as Easter. And uh, followers of Jesus have considered this, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the axis on which world history turns. And that the, the remembering, rehearsing, and celebrating of it is such a big deal that followers of Jesus would take the months ahead of it to prepare their hearts to celebrate it again, to get their hearts right. And they called this season Lent. And Lent, it's not prescribed in the Bible or anything, but, uh, but, but we find it to be a spiritually helpful practice. And it unites us with the church through history and around the world. And so this Lenten season, and it starts on Wednesday officially at that Ash Wednesday service at 7. This Lenten season, we're going to be immersed. We're going to be spending our time in the story of Jesus as told by Mark. Now, one way that we're going to do this as a community, could you, did you have one of these on your seat as you came in here this morning? Could you pull this out? It's the thing with the smaller cross. The big cross was the bulletin. The smaller cross was this reader. And basically the idea is this. We would love it if Every single person, from the most mature amongst us to the child in the womb, spent the season of Lent reading through the book of Mark. And uh, in here on the, the center sheet, essentially it just breaks Mark out. So if you start tomorrow following this plan, by the time we get to Resurrection Sunday Easter, you'll have read through the entirety of the book of Mark. And we just want we want our whole community to be immersed in this book over the next couple months. Shelley has designed some awesome stuff for our kids in Treasureland. So if you have kids down there, they're going to be wanting to do this. Um, and we just hope everybody does it, the whole community. I mean, if we are followers of Jesus, we should know the story of Jesus really well, right? The, the, the attitudes of Jesus, the posture, his words, his deeds. We should know it like at the back of our hand. So we should be immersed in this. And if you're here and you're just exploring, you're curious, you're skeptical, you're searching, I would challenge you, you too, please read the story of Jesus for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take pop culture's word for it, who Jesus is. I believe every person has the right to make up their own mind of where they stand with Jesus and Nazareth. And I would encourage you to turn to the primary documents. So all of us, let's spend time in Mark together. Yeah? yeah. All right, good, good. All right, now I want to, um, to kind of introduce where we're going to be today. So today, this first week in this series, we're going to be talking about the theme of temptation. That Jesus is stronger than the most seductive, alluring temptations in our world that we could ever face. Now, when I, but I want to just do a little ground clearing. When I say the word temptation, what, what pops into your mind right away? Just shout a couple things out. What pops in your mind? Ice cream, cheesecake. What else? Temptation. That's it? Cheesecake? We're like, everybody's like, yep, that's pretty much it. That's just cheesecake. I don't know. There's nothing else. <laughs> what? Oh, porn. There you go. Yeah, come on. 
temptation, I think sex. No, am I the only one? Nobody? What do you, what do you associate with the word temptation? Shout some things out. Ice cream, lust. What? Anger. Yeah, money. Yeah, there's, uh, what my point is, there's, um, there's some of these things that are, that are deep, but for me, I have like just cliches around the word temptation. And maybe I'm the only one, but like I hear temptation, I think sex, cigarettes, and chocolate. And not, and not even like those aren't like big tri- other things. Tri- those aren't, it's not like I'm like, but they're just, I have these, we have like cliches attached to these words in our head, right? And what, I guess I want to clear this ground and say, when I talk about temptation, I'm not talking about cliche temptation. Yes, there are very, uh, yes, there are things like that that tempt us, but there's also like temptation. When scripture talks about temptation, it's anything that draws us away from the life we are meant to live, the life, the identity God desires to give us, the mission he desires to set us on, the purposes he has for us, anything that pulls us out of that, that anything, real, I mean, ultimately, it's anything that draws us away from a living relationship with God himself is temptation. And yes, there are kind of these, there are some of these cliche things to do it, but there's these deeper things too, right? This desire to be liked and living out of that, or a desire to be in control of things, or a need to feel safe, like these other deeper things pull us away from trusting God. I want to talk about this, that when I use the word, this full orb, anything that draws us away from the life God has for us. And so for me, when I think about that, um, it's not, chocolate isn't like this big thing, it, but things like uh, uh, slipping into seasons of apathy, uh, wanting, to, uh, wanting to manage how other people perceive me to be liked a certain way, wanting to feel uh, in control of certain situations that I'm not meant to be in control over. Those things are the kinds of things that tend to draw me away from the identity and mission and God himself. And so maybe even just a question would be, what is it for you? What are those deeper things that draw you away for the life, from the life you're meant to live? This this deeper sense of, of, of things that pull us away from God. This is what we are going to be talking about. The, 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 well, the text today uh, addresses. All right, so let's, uh, let's move on now. So uh, I'm going to pick up uh, in Mark 1. That's where we're going to be in verse uh, 9. So if you're following along in your Bible, the words will also be on the screen. We read, so, uh, so John, he's been uh, preaching in the desert, baptizing people, and then this is what happens in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. All right, I just want to orient us. Here's a map. Nazareth is up in the north in the Galilee region. It's a small podunk village up there. Jesus heads down the Rift Valley following the Jordan River and goes to probably this area just north of the Dead Sea. It's, it's Bethany beyond the Jordan there, labeled that way. Here's a picture of it. It's just kind of this, uh, can we flip that? There he goes, this scrub brush, wildernessy area. I mean, it's not like a great place to live. And we've got to remember at this point, nobody knows who Jesus is, right? I mean, he's not famous or anything. He's just 30-ish 
carpenter, blue-collar guy from village in the north, like small little tiny town in the north. No, he's just another person coming to hear John's preaching and be baptized by him. And then in verse 10, he's baptized. This was what happens. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, ripped open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, I don't know what, if you have a video camera there, I don't know what, and probably nobody did, what that looks like. But, I mean, the Jewish people had this understanding that God, somehow his spirit is how he gets things done in this world. And so this, this, this God's powerful activity in the world, this spirit is coming on to Jesus. And then verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, my, the first thing I think about is John. He's just, there's a line of people like, baptize next, baptize next, baptize like spirit bird, voice from heaven, you are my son. <laughs> what happened? Did I do that? You know? <laughs> I just, but, uh, and come on, am I the only one? that thinks God's voice sounds like James Earl Jones, that that's how you hear it in your head, that I'm just, but, because um, I think that's really how it is. But, um, but it's this, this incredible poignant moment of Father, Son, and Spirit, and Jesus, he's given these, these two gifts, the power of God's Spirit on him and in him, and the affirmation of his identity as beloved by God the Father. The power of the Spirit. His identity is beloved by God. And it's these two things that he moves into his ministry life with. And so uh, this is what happens next. Um, Verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, sometimes we think... um, (laughs) Have you ever caught like the idea that if you start to follow God, if you get right with God, your life will get better? You ever hear that? Like sometimes you get into God's plan and it leads to 40 day showdown with Satan in the desert. Like, like it's not like sometimes, sometimes, sometimes following Jesus makes things more difficult. And, and, and he's sent out into the wilderness. I want to just want to show kind of again, orient us, show us. I think we have a map. Uh, so we move, the Judean desert is just to the east of Jerusalem. Here's a picture of it. It's this kind of, I mean, it's just desolate, this area between Jerusalem and Jericho. This is where he spends uh, 40 days, and he's being tempted by, and it says Satan, and I want to just, don't think horror movie. I mean, the word uh, Satan, the, it comes from the Hebrew Satan, which means accuser or adversary. So somehow there's this, this spiritual adversary, this accuser trying to draw him away from this trusting place with God the Father who loves him. And then it ends, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him, uh, that he was supported by these divine messengers. So, um, what's going on here? How might we kind of summarize, pull this together? I want to just make a few comments on how to think of what's going on here. You know, sometimes... 
the way I, and maybe a lot of us sometimes approach Scripture, is we look for, we, we approach it very linearly, like what's, what's Proposition 1 and Proposition 2 and Conclusion A? And that's actually not a great way to approach the narrative sections of Scripture. I think, it'd be, I think if we were film students, we might read the narrative portions of Scripture better. They're so immersed in images and setting and location. And so I just want to pull out kind of two images that are being evoked here. Two different images. The first image... I think comes out of uh, this baptism moment. It says he's baptized and the spirit like a bird hovers over the water. Now if you are a first century Jewish person, when you see spirit like a bird hovering over the water, what image is evoked for you? Creation. The second sentence of the Bible. God's spirit hovers over the water. So there's this sense that this is a new creation. Somehow the power unleashed in creation is, is being unleashed anew in this person. New creation. And of course you think uh, the first people, Adam and Eve, this whole story. Um, that's the first image, new creation. And then the second kind of image that I think we get pulled, that gets pulled out is we see um, some, someone go through the water into the wilderness for 40-something. Where, where do, where do, what does that evoke in your mind? What image does that bring in your mind? Exodus, right? God brings his people out of slavery through the water of the Red Sea into the wilderness for 40 years. Exodus, this, this, this formation of the people. So we have this, in, in a sense, this new creation theme and this new Exodus theme. And I think what uh, Jesus is orchestrating here and what Mark is passing on to us, he, he's trying to get at this idea that, that in, in the creation story, in scripture, we see the first man and woman, they are given the opportunity to live in a trusting, loving, following God as king relationship with God. And they are tempted by the adversary to do otherwise, and they fail. The first humans are tempted and fail. And then we come to, to and then what happens is God says, I'm going to choose a mission community people, Israel, this, this nation that will be my, my vehicle to bless and heal the world. And, and then he, he calls them out of slavery in Egypt. He forms them as a people. And what happens is they go through the water into the wilderness for 40 years, and they too are tempted not to walk with God, not to trust him as king, and they fail. And I think what Jesus is orchestrating, Mark is saying, is a new Adam has come who faces the adversary. But this Adam trusts God completely. A new son of Israel has come. A new one who will bless and heal the world. But this son of Israel goes into the wilderness for 40 days and follows and trusts God completely. Here is the one. Who can resist any temptation the adversary, the accuser, throws at him. The new Adam, the new Israel, the faithful Adam, the faithful Israel, the stronger one. Stronger than the most seductive, alluring temptations that ever have or ever will come at human beings. One writer later in the New Testament says it this way. says that Jesus has been tempted in every single way we are, but was Without sin. He is stronger than temptation. Which brings us back to the ways we are tempted. We are tempted over and over again 
in that big sense to be drawn away from the identity and the mission God has for us, to draw, be drawn away from God himself. And some of those things, some of those things that tempt us are, are, are big, powerful, and obvious things. Like, um, I mean, we have people, we, have, we know people who are tempted by things like alcohol. And yes, illicit sex and pornography. And tempted by things like meth and opioids. We have people who need a stronger one in their life for those things. We also have people amongst us who are tempted by those, those more hidden things. Those inner sins. Things of, 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 of needing to be liked. And, ma- and got, making decisions out of the need to be perceived and respected and esteemed in a certain way. Being, being, being need to feel safe and have our kids feel safe and, and, and saying no to the things God calls us to because of that. Needing to feel in control and manipulate the pieces on the chessboard, things that we are meant to release into God's hands. We're tempted by these things too. Even, all, even all the, our secular world, our world that does not, uh, does not look to Jesus for how to live, even our secular world is very aware that there are forces that draw people away from the just and good life. We, re- we regularly read about and hear about people talking about systems of injustice that it's so easy to participate with. The way it's just easy to go away and kind of ignore the problems of environmental destruction. Or in the last couple of years, the way it's, it's easy to participate in systems of racism or systems of sexism. And, our, and, our, and, our, and our, our, the wider secular culture is aware that these force, there are forces out there that draw people away from the life they're meant to live. But the thing that our, our wider, non-believing world doesn't have, it doesn't have any idea how to form moral, virtuous people who can actually live that way. That's why our public discourse goes, we, we keep just sliding into public shame. We use public shame to enforce rules. Because we don't know how to create people of virtue. And what we see in the story of Jesus is how to get there. Jesus says, I can be the stronger one for you. Because when we turn to Jesus as our stronger one, it keeps us from the twin threats of just failure, of just I can't do it. Or the other seductive threat of I can do it in my own strength. And now I have moral pride, and why can't you do it too? Because when we turn to Jesus, it's this, just this humble posture of, Jesus, I need you, and I could never have done it without you. And even when I do find victory in this, it's because of you in my life. It's not about me. I have this image in my head. Uh, a number of years ago, we got home from a vacation. And where I, we flew somewhere, I don't know. And we had these, like, you walk in our front door, this is our older place, we walk in our front door and there's these steps just leading upstairs. And my three-year-old at the time is, like, on the bottom step, just doing this. Like, just trying to get the suitcase up the stairs. She was like, ah, she, I can't, ah, she wanted to get up. She wanted to get it up, but just couldn't get it up. And so I walk in and I'm like, you know, I'm just standing there, and I'm waiting for her to ask for help. And, and then finally, I'm like, can I help you? Yeah, yeah, you can help me. You know, and I just come alongside, and I just put one finger on it. And then the two of us, together, just ba-dunk, 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 ba-dunk. 
And then uh, she gets to the top of the stairs, and she's like, I did it. And I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. But I just, I don't know, for some reason I carried this image with me of, of the, in those, the, 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 the temptations in our life that Jesus just wants to come alongside and put a, put a hand on it. And he's like, I know you can't do this without me, but let's do this together. And so I just, I guess maybe when we think about our, te- what's your suitcase? What are you standing at the bottom of the stairs with? And you need somebody to come and say, hey, can I help you get that up the stairs? An incredible paradox of the gospel. The paradox of the gospel is the more we say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. Will you help me? I can't do it without you. And we're humble before him. The more we do that, the more we actually find victory in it as he empowers us and helps us get it up the stairs. And we can say, Jesus, thank you. And it doesn't, it's not just magic. It's not just snap a finger. Sometimes it's going to mean getting vulnerable with somebody. It's going to be confessing things. It might be getting into a recovery group. It might be getting into counseling. It doesn't mean that Jesus won't call us to other things. But it does mean that it's when we turn to him that we find a stronger one than temptation. And he wants, he wants to do this for you. Like, you will have things in your life. I, like, this isn't just abstract. You will have things in your life that want to draw you away from the living God, that want to own you, that don't want you to rest in your identity with Him, that don't want you to live out the mission He has for you, that don't want you to live in a place of knowing how loved you are. You will have those things. And you, if you try to do it on your own, it will, it'll be failure, it'll be arrogance. And Jesus is standing there saying, let me help you. Let me help you. And I think even in this text, we get a hint of how much and how far he will go to help us. There's that line in verse 10 that I think Mark chooses a very particular word to hint at something. In verse 10, it says that heaven was torn open. In Greek, the word is schizo. The, word was, the, the, the sky was split open. It's like the, the Father God just wanted to rip heaven open and say, that's my son, I love him. And that word schizo, Mark only uses it one other time. In his entire work. And the word schizo pops up in Mark 15, 37. Fifteen thirty-seven. we read, this is at Jesus' execution. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was schizoed, was torn in two from top to bottom. It's, it, Mark's alluding ahead that the same Jesus who's stronger from temptation, that the Father rips heaven open to say, I love this boy. That at the end, at his death, it's like, it's like the Father, it's like takes the curtain of the temple like it's his robe and just rips it and says, he now is gone. 
And there, there, there's this sense that if you want to know, if, do you want to know how badly Jesus wants to be the stronger one for you? Like, look ahead to the cross. This is his heart for us. This is how he, he lives the life we were meant to live, and he dies the death we were meant to die, that he could be the stronger one for us. That he could be the stronger than those things that draw us away from the living God stronger than those things that seek to distort our lives. And so I just, may, may we be people, may we be people that turn to, that lean on, that call out to the stronger one again and again and again. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, Jesus, I, I pray for us collectively here this morning. And we, Jesus, recognize that none of us are past temptation. Maybe some of us have things that are more hidden and some of us have things that are more seen. But Lord, we all need you. We never graduate from this. Would you gently point out even today where we need your strength in our lives? Jesus, would you draw us to yourself? Would you, in the moments when we need you most in the coming week, would you, would you call our name and draw us that we would truly uh, lean on you and trust in you and look to you as our stronger one? Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.